0: The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. chapter 2, you'll find it in your New Testament, almost all the way to the back. Um, If you're just getting to know your Bible, you'll find it there. It's one of those smaller letters that a guy named Paul wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit to a church in the ancient city of Ephesus. And... It's very instructive for us this morning. So we're going to continue in our our series and our study of the greatness of God through some of these, the greatest chapters in our Bibles. And, you know, the the whole goal uh, in this study, since we started it way back earlier this fall, was to increase our worship to do as Psalm 70, verse 4, the, the, the verse that started it all, the verse that is on the back half, but that verse that says, may all who, Lord, here's what you get, you get joy, you get joy, but it says then also, may those who love your salvation say evermore, that worshipful response to our salvation, God is great. You know, and it's really been our goal over the last several weeks then is not only to lead us in worship, but to look again at another aspect of our salvation. We've been looking and really turning the diamond of salvation, just another angle to look at the diamond from uh, another perspective to increase our love for the Lord, our love for our salvation that we might uh, be provoked to say, God is great. And we look again this morning at another aspect of reconciliation. You've likely heard the proverbial expression, killing two birds with one stone. You familiar with that? It's in other words, it's it, through one action, uh, multiple uh, results are accomplished. You know, in this case, one bird, two stones, which that would be pretty uh, remarkable if you could actually do that. And for those of us who love efficiency, this is always our goal, isn't it? I mean, I'm a guy like that. I want, I want to accomplish the most, uh, get things done faster with less effort and less cost. There's too many things to do and not enough time in the day, right? Especially now at Christmas, isn't there? It's like presents we have to buy, things we have to do, extra parties and things we have to go to, cards we need to get in the mail on time, orders we need to place on Amazon. And we, we just have so many things going on that when we can be efficient, we think we've succeeded in the day, haven't we? And yet any instance of our best efficiency pales in comparison to the greatness of God to reconcile. And what Christ did at the cross, God solved both this vertical conflict between man and God, but also then gave us the solution to all horizontal conflicts that ever existed. And see, here's the thing. It is only God who could make that peace happen. Only God that could solve the conflict. See, reconciliation with God was impossible because of our great sin and the separation that it caused. But as we'll see in Ephesians 2, likewise, reconciliation with one another was equally impossible because of our great sin and the hostility that created in the separation that then resulted between humans. And yet the greatness of God is on display in the most impossible of situations. For it is in the midst of the impossible that the but God moments happen. And that's at the but God moments that only one person gets the credit or the glory. And that is God himself. And So look at your Bibles. Now, Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to take the whole chapter, all 22 verses. And as I read, I want you to see if you can spot three things happening in two different cycles. An impossible situation, a but God moment, and the resulting change i'm going to read it you follow along and see if you can spot those things ephesians 2 beginning in verse 1 say this and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh This is God's word for God's people. Now, church, that's a big section, but a connected section here. And I think you can see how it is broken down into two mirrored sections. Did you spot those three uh, uh, phases or those three pieces in each section? I hope you did and those but God moments. Hopefully you underlined them. But first in verses 1 through 10 is that vertical reconciliation with God that God accomplished. And the second in the remaining half of the chapter, the resulting horizontal reconciliation. And so we could sum up this chapter like this. That God reconciles us to himself so that we can be reconciled to one another. Let me say that again, write it down, put it there in your sermon notes. Hopefully you got one of those as you walked in, but it says simply this. The summary of this chapter is that God reconciles us to himself so that we can be reconciled to one another. Now let me just make one thing clear because it might be obscured and since we didn't read Ephesians chapter 1 and we're not following the flow of thought that the primary purpose of our reconciliation, the primary purpose of our salvation is the glory of God. Ephesians chapter 1 will say multiple times, repeated, it is all to the praise of His glory. As Paul lays out, go ahead and read it this afternoon, all of uh, the the glories of our salvation from first to last, from our predestination to our glorification, all of it is to the praise of His glory. But in the greatness of God then, there are multiple resulting purposes. And this is what he is taking us to in chapter 2 because of our change in relationship to God no longer at war with God, but now brought to peace, then there is a resulting change in relationships amongst Christians. Especially amongst those of various backgrounds where cultural or racial or any other kind of conflict exists, Christ alone enables peace. For people who are far off, And far away, he brings them near. But the question then is, but how? (laughs) How does that happen? And this is what Paul is getting at in his flow of thought here in Ephesians chapter 2. And like everything, it starts in the mind. And what we believe about our salvation, and what we believe about God, and what we believe about one another. And that's what this chapter is about. There's only one command. It's the command to remember in verses 11 and 12. And so then we take our cues from that. What then do we remember about reconciliation? In the first three verses, it teaches us this, that we all come from the same background. The first truth that we must remember here and that Paul is bringing us to is that we all come from the same background. And the emphasis here is on we and all, all of us in this room. Now we're good Texans and we have uh, words that we like to make up. And I think we need to, you know, make up a, like an inclusive word here like wall or something. You know, we've got you all, y'all, but we all need, we need, we need a better way to say that. So can we do that. Yeah. All right. We can start changing a wall around here. We all come from the same background. I'm gonna put some gravel in your cheek or something in order to say it better. Bye. Wall come from the same background. You know, what, and much of the verse, uh, what we find here in verses 1 through 9 particularly, we've covered at length in recent weeks. We've even referenced this as we've been reading through the various chapters. Have we seen the greatness of God uh, beginning back in Genesis? But we work through it now to help maybe bring some clarity. And if you're new with us this morning, you can see where we all come from, all of humanity. And as we come to verses 1 through 3 here, they're not very flattering, are they? They're Not very flattering, but notice just these things of, about the verses and the description here. Note the all-encompassing depravity. All, all of it is corrupted from our very actions in verses 1 and 2. We were dead. We once walked in this way. We, the, the, who we followed and who we obeyed, who we listened to was the course of this world what was politically correct, what was the, uh, the normal patterns of depravity that exist in the culture, and to, even beyond that, following the prince of the power of the air, namely the enemy, namely Satan. Notice how the whole person is corrupted here from our very desires. Do you see this in verse 3? We once all lived the passions of our flesh, the desires of the body and the mind, everything from what we think and feel and do, corrupted by this depravity. Down to where it says we were by very nature. Going back to Romans chapter 5 and the nature that we inherit from Adam being corrupted. You know, this is like on your phone. This isn't just like one app on the phone that is corrupted. This is the whole operating system. Every app. The phone is, is itself. The screen is, is cracked and it is crumbled. It is all broken and it is all encompassing. But not only is it to this depravity here, but it is to all encompassing of all humanity. What he says in verse three, among whom we all, we all, once lived, For nature by nature, children of wrath, he says that there is him, like the rest of mankind, every person. Now these two things aren't to say that all of us, uh, apart from Christ, and every unbeliever, is the worst possible version of themselves. No, by the common grace of God, He gives restraint <laughs> through things like parental authority and governmental authority and the uh, church and. Things we have this restraint, but it is something that has affected everybody. But note this also, if you're a Christian today, you've repented of your sin and believed in Christ to save you, this is a past reality. While we come from a common background, this is a past reality. Look how verse 2 uh, begins, in which you now walk. What does it say? In which you once Walked a past reality. And when she once, all once, verse 3 says, uh, all once lived, it's not true of us anymore. This was the focus of last week that in Christ, now as sin has uh, been uh, rendered powerless over us, this is no longer true of us. And so understanding this here, this the, the commonality that we have here, this common background, should really then give us sympathy in two ways uh, a sympathy towards our fellow believers. Knowing that, hey, we come from a similar, we've been rescued out of a similar sinful spot. Whether you were saved as a kid or late in life, no matter what uh, the details of this were in your past life, it may be different details, but we have the same background and therefore we can have greater sympathy for one another as we continue to live out our life even now. But it should also give us greater sympathy towards the unbelievers that we know. This is true of them right now. This is true. We we can't expect uh, Christian behavior this Christmas around the Christmas tree and around the Christmas table from a non-Christian, from unregenerate people. This should then provoke in us more grace, more compassion, more patience, and deeper, fervent prayers for this next truth to be true of them that we are all saved by grace through faith greater sympathy that apart from a but god moment in their life this is still true of them you know in this next section here in verses four to nine it's a section that we all love and it's a again it's a common thing that we all share different uh, ways that god brings us to christ and yet we all come by grace through faith to Christ. And within these verses in, in uh, Ephesians 2:8 is maybe the second most popular verse in all the Bible. A few weeks ago we looked at John 3:16, which I said was the most popular verse. But I would be willing to bet that Ephesians 2:8 and if you're uh, an overachiever, maybe 8 and 9 are the most popular verses in all the Bible. Can anybody quote it? If you can quote it, look at your neighbor and recite Ephesians 2:8. If you can't, just read it to them from the. From the from the verse. You say Now for some that's just like rolling off the tongue. These are verses that we love for they describe God's great solution for saving us out of the impossible sin situation that verses 1 through 3 describe. And it's apart from these truths this morning that we would, we would not be saved or even baptized, but for God being rich in mercy. Do you notice? Look at how how it's described here of how we are saved. Out of the impossible situation, God interjects himself, but God being rich in mercy. See, when it comes to, to mercy and God's withholding of punishment that is due to us, his pity and compassion for people, he is not miserly or reluctant to lavish it on people. But he is rich and abundant in the pouring out of it. He doesn't just kind of give us the leftovers or the cheap option on the shelf of options. As you go to the, to the butter owl, God isn't just giving you the cheap tub of crocker, you know, uh, pot, uh, margarine. He rather gives you the rich, lush, creamy, carrygold Irish butter. He is rich in his mercy. Because of the great love with which with he loved us. You ever ask this question, why did God save me? Because I looked good, because he wanted me on my team. Because I had these great gifts. I serve people. I do a lot of nice things. I try to live my best and work honestly. I try to raise my kids right. Only answer to that question, why did he save us, is because he loved us. Why did he love you? Because he loves you. <laughs> Unconditionally. Not for anything that you do or look or say or fail to do or look or say. He loves us because he loves us. Even when we were dead in trespass. Unless we like, get mixed up or have short-term memory loss from verses 1 to 3 or we just like parachute into verse 4 He's like, or in verse 5, he's like, even when you were dead loved us, made us alive with him. He unites us to Christ. Why, uh, why did he do this? Is because he loves us. unites us to him. He enters into this relationship that we enjoy now. We're, we're made alive and raised up with him, seated with him, a place of prestige and privilege. Relationship that we enjoy now, but also comes with the future rewards. Look at verse 7. So that, why does he do this? So that in the coming ages, in a future time, he might show or demonstrate the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You know, like, think, we, think of this in two different ways here. It's like the life that we now enjoy, the abundant life that we have here now, there is way more waiting. And glory, there's way more waiting for us. But even beyond that, this isn't just, just for us, although there is, I think, a, a personal benefit for this. There is greater worship to come for Christ in the coming ages. So all things are brought to consummation as we uh, sit around the marriage supper at the Lamb, as we are brought and God finishes His redemptive plans on this earth. There is something greater that He will show and demonstrate towards us out of His kindness. And all of this all of this comes to us out of the storehouses of his grace. For it is by grace, there verse say, by grace that you've been saved. Giving us a gift that we did not deserve through the pathway, through the roadway of faith. Faith is then the straw in which we drink from his goodness. For it is God who gives us the appetite, awakening us to his goodness and the glories of Christ. And then the drink in which to satisfy it of Christ. See, it is not of us. Faith is not the work in which we then demonstrate in this. No, faith is the gift from God. For if we boast our testimonies, note that the kids do not boast of their great faith. Or when they decided to follow Jesus, though, an important step of responsibility. But an important response. Uh, response to Christ that we don't boast it is not us verses 1 to 3 make it very clear that it is impossible that we were save ourselves only God could work this reconciliation therefore our only boast is in Christ again different details Different details about how God used uh, the people and the, his providences in this earth to bring you to Christ through your parent, through a, a, a kid's ministry worker, through an aunt, a family member, a friend, a sibling, whoever it might have been, through uh, various passages in the scripture. Whatever he did, he then, but we all share the same Savior. See, we're all saved by grace through faith. There is no other way no other way for hope. No other way for help. There is no other gods. Jesus is not one amongst many options for eternal life. We're saved by grace through faith. And consequently, then, we are all deployed on the same mission. See, look at here in, in, uh, in verse 10. See, We're all created for good works. We are created for good works. So he's been saved. He's reiterating, and I love the first nine verses because it's really a contention of his salvation. It's a packaged deal here in what he teaches in greater detail in other contexts here, but he's taking us somewhere. Then as a result of this, he says, we are his workmanship. Literally in Greek, it's the word poema from which we get our word poem. We then are, as a result of our salvation, we are a beautiful masterpiece. Jesus taking up all the broken pieces of our past and our life and creating something beautiful. But see, here's the thing. He doesn't just create something beautiful and then hang it on the wall or put it on the shelf to be displayed. He creates something beautiful and then deploys us to worship, walk, and work for Christ to be about this good works that he said, we are created in Christ Jesus to look pretty. Now, what does verse 10 say? For good works. Good works, simply defined here, as as you maybe have heard in previous messages and other places in the Bible, good works, simply defined as serving others for their spiritual good, often by meeting physical needs. Serving others for their spiritual good, often by meeting physical needs needs and this is what we've been created for to serve and to help one another and so let me sort something out in your mind because i think it's, it's important for us because sometimes we can like jumble all these things together we can jumble like evangelism and discipleship and good works in it all And i want to just kind of tease it out for you so you can see their proper place good works then are those initial activities those initial things that we do to serve people uh, to for with spiritual motivations often by meeting physical needs. And the the opportunities for that and the way that that plays out are endless. How we come alongside other people, whether they're believers or unbelievers, it doesn't necessarily matter, actually, but we serve one another. Evangelism, then, is that specific act where we open our mouths and we share the good news of Jesus with boldness, one of our pillars of unafraid witness. And oftentimes it is the good works that open up the door for evangelism. And then as they respond to Christ, as, we, uh, as God gives us the, uh, the, the joy of watching somebody come to Christ, then the work of discipleship, of investing in somebody for their spiritual growth, then begins to take place. But all throughout that, then, good works are happening. It is both the starting place and the cultivator of these relationships of growth in Christ and the opportunities to share the gospel. But the mind-blowing aspect in all of this, as we come back to verse 10, it says that God is sovereign over all of these things. All the opportunities that we have, all the opportunities that you'll have this Christmas to serve your neighbors, to serve your family, to love those in your workplace, to share the gospel, all of this God has prepared beforehand, not as an afterthought, not as a reaction to the way things are unfolding in this world, but he has done so in our salvation and then also the good works. He already knows the conversations you're going to have. He already knows the ham that's going to burn and the panic that it's gonna cause and the resulting conversations that you'll get to have about it, and the demonstration of peace and joy in the Lord through it all, and the serving that you'll get to have. He already knows you might be standing at the sink washing dishes while everybody else is doing something else. See your good works. He's prepared it beforehand. That you might walk in them. This is what we're created for. George, not just at Christmas, but all the time, he's prepared these opportunities for you and you for the opportunities. Giving you the gifts, giving you the things here, lots of opportunities. But there's a specific way in which this plays out, which he is bringing us to in chapter 2. All along, we've been really talking about this vertical reconciliation here. But he's reconciled us to be a part of one very specific good work of, ministers of as ministers of reconciliation between humans. See, we know and love our vertical reconciliation, but the ground level, where it gets super practical and ever relevant in every age and culture, is the need for horizontal reconciliation. It was needed for the church in Ephesus, this group of people that were both Gentile and Jewish believers from various backgrounds that had now settled in this city. And it is necessary for us as a church here at Redemption of people from various backgrounds who've settled in New Bromples to live life. And we share this one thing in common that at the cross, Christ died for our sins. But he also died at the cross and he accomplished the means for our horizontal reconciliation. And so there's a fourth truth that we have to remember in all of this. And it is this, that we were all once far from God. We start the second cycle now of the same uh, line of argumentation, the same writing here in the last uh, part of the verses here. He says, therefore, that connecting word That brings all of this uh, together. Therefore, in light of your vertical reconciliation, in light of therefore, what how you have changed in relationship to the Lord, now remember these things. Now, here's here's the thing. This verse or this word here, "remember," in verse 11, and then again in verse 12, the only commands in the first three chapters of Ephesians. He lays out and he lays it on heavy these theological truths. This is what, uh, who, where we came from. This is what God has done. And we're only called to remember here twice. And then at the end of chapter 3, he has this great uh, transitionary, benedictory prayer. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6 are plumb full, 40 plus commands on how to walk all these things out. If you need some help, you can go just read through Ephesians this week. Read it on repeat. Listen to it on repeat all throughout this month. And man, you'll have a joy-filled Christmas here. But here's the thing. What are we to remember? Remember that we were all once far from God. Especially us here, as many of us, most likely all of us, don't come from a Jewish background, but we were, conclu- we were included in this Gentile way of thinking. In those days, there was this uh, the, really one way of thinking, especially to the Israel, Israeli mind, the Jewish mind. There's the Jews and then everybody else. Gentiles. Or, and they would talk about it in terms of the sign of the covenant and, and uh, circumcised or uncircumcised people would circumcise their males everybody else was not and so that's just how they thought of the world and so let me just make a connection here in, in this way of thinking what, what Apostle Paul is doing is he's bringing us back now to this he's bringing us back to make this connection here because he's saying we were all once far from God and our thinking about all this is messed up Remember back to Genesis chapter three when we were talking about God, the greatness of God, despite our sin, and how even our understanding, our ability to know and understand, has been severely corrupted. See, we're all bent with this polarized thinking. The Jewish people in those days, it was Jew versus Gentile, and. Our day, it's you know, black versus white, or Republican versus Democrat, or Apple versus Android, or whatever the things that we you know, divide over and the barriers in which we build up. And yet, just to the simple thinking person, we realize it is much more complex than all of that. What about all the other ethnicities? What about the other political parties? What about the other tech companies out there? But since our understanding, our ability, even though we like to pride ourselves in our ability to reason and rationalize and sort things out, it's all been corrupted, bent in this polarized thinking. We're bent also with this combative type thinking. Us versus the world, me versus my family, or my family versus the sinful world out there. Here in Texas especially, it's like Texas versus the rest of the U.S., right? I mean, this American thinking. It's, it's America versus the world. What Paul is doing, he's bringing us back and he's saying, no, 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 remember that we were all separated from Christ. We were all far from Him, particularly as, as Gentiles, we were alienated from Israel as a nation. We were once not part of the kingdom. We were strangers to the blessings, the abundant life that came from God as a result of His promises to these people. And as a result, look what verse 12 says, as a result, they have no hope without God in the world. Again, this is a summary of everybody apart from Christ now. Great tragedy that we, that, that we, of unbelievers facing death and the trials and the, and the pandemic and the things of this day apart from, uh, apart from the hope that God brings. Apart from a biblical worldview, apart from the, the knowing Christ. There's no God. So what do they put their hope in? Money, governmental leader, governmental processes, celebrities, others. And yet, it brings us nothing. See, we were all once, all once, formerly separated. And the common separation, this common ancestry, this common problem, this impossible situation, impossible spot, again, should give us greater sympathy. Sympathy for one another as we're living this out, as we're learning to live as believers. And greater sympathy for the unbelievers who this is still true of them. No hope without God as they face the world, as they read the headlines, as they walk through life's things. That should lead us to pray like crazy for this fifth truth. For we know that we all have peace through Christ. To pray like crazy that another but God moment would happen like in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you've got to underline these, these sections here. So underline them in your Bible so you never miss them. Whenever you see these words here in your Bible, just like we saw in Jonah and in other uh, places like this, this but God moment that we have been brought near. You who were once, past tense again, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The greatest blessing of it all. See, the the Gospel Transformation Bible, down in their notes, they they make this uh, poignant observation. It says this, that throughout the Bible, we see that the greatest privilege a people can have is to be near to God. That was what our whole study of Exodus was about not long ago, right? God bringing this people near to him. It is what our salvation is all about, that we are now near God and know God. And it is the hope that we have in our glorification that we will be forever perpetually in the presence of Christ. But the quote goes on to say, and the greatest curse is to be banished from his presence. What happened back in Genesis 3? result of sin kicked out of the garden. Our sin causes separation. Our sin causes separation between us and the Lord and with one another, and the greatest then we know is hell and forever eternal separation from the Lord. But see, way to peace, we've been brought near through Christ's sacrificial death by his blood, Referring to what happened at the cross and there he himself is our peace. The glorious reality from Romans 5 that we have peace with God no longer at war uh, but because of what Christ has done. And this is not just merely a personal glorious reality that we hold to ourselves and and love uh, just personally here. But what Paul is highlighting in these truths, truths that we've embraced on our own, what he is embracing and highlighting and emphasizing is the communal aspect of it. Look at verse 14 For he himself is our peace Who has made us both one And has broken down in his flesh The dividing wall of hostility All the barriers that we had Culturally, racially Or whatever else it might be Christ at the cross kicked them over Knocked them down so that no matter where we came from, no matter what we look like or music that we listen to or the way that we dress or whatever else that might, uh, might cause conflict in our life, he has brought us together that we might both be made one. Jew and Gentile, you and me, all of us. And in order for that to happen, blood had to be shed. A sacrifice had to happen. Christ's broken body broke down the wall. that that separated us. Christ once-for-all sacrifice abolished the need for the Old Testament sacrifices. And it's in his stead that one new man has been created. said it several weeks ago. We'll elaborate on it here. But in order for there to be peace, there must be sacrifice. Now we're no longer two parties, Jew or Gentile. Now, in Christ... We are just Christians, Christ followers. There's no add-ons or, 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 or exceptions. There's no, there's no like, well, I'm a Texas Christian. I'm an American Christian. I'm a white Christian. I'm a black Christian. I'm a male Christian, Gentile Christian. There's no added. No, we're not defined by uh, these things. We're not defined by our background. We're not defined by their differences that create the hostility. But we are now defined by the peace with God that liberates us in these verses. It makes us into one new special being. Now, theologically here, just get kind of uh, in the weeds a little bit. Theologically, some, I think, make too much of these verses. They okay, I don't have time to go into all those, so I'd love to talk about them. But here's what I think we can say from these verses right here before us. And it is this, that Israel has a place of special blessing with God what he's what Paul's arguing from he's they because God started with Abraham to give the the promises and to start there they have a place of special blessing with God but secondly we can say like from this verse that Gentiles we the rest of us now share in those blessings finally that everyone who trusts Christ is a part of that something new this family of faith and practically here, there are some real significant lessons then that we learn. Uh, what God is, is, is teaching us here, especially when it comes to the conflicts and the hostility that we face in our relationships and that exist in the church as these people are brought from various places. You know, and this, so let's just take this a step further. In order for there to be peace, there must be sacrifice. And so then in conflict, well, what, what has to happen then? Well, Exactly what Christ did. He came near. In order for reconciliation to happen, we must move toward one another. Christ didn't dig his heels in. He did not not budge or refuse to help. But if we do those things, then conflict will remain. But Christ, he came the whole way. We were dead in our sin. We were so dead we couldn't move. We were separated with no way to come near. And so Christ came the whole way. And if Christ can reconcile the most impossible situations, then our human differences, even what's seemingly impossible, are no problem for the Lord. He comes and he breaks down the barriers, the barriers that we create, the barriers that he, that he talks about here, that we are the ones that set up, that come up in all different forms, that are based on our differences. Let me just say, like, different doesn't necessarily mean the other person is an enemy. Different. We create barriers. God creates peace. Christ himself is the Prince of Peace, and he creates it through reconciliation. So maybe it's helpful here, we've been talking about these words all along, but maybe it's helpful to just add a definition here. Reconciliation, then, is when two parties who were once at odds are brought together to a place of peace. Different than restoration. Restoration is then a, a resuming of the relationship as it was beforehand. But this brought to a place of peace. Forgiveness also is different. Forgiveness is the step in reconciliation where someone is dismissing the debt of offense that was caused by someone else. I'm not holding this against you anymore. More so even for the sake of your own soul to let it go to not be consumed by it anymore. Forgive doesn't mean forget, for we can't forget. It just means that we are not allowing it to consume our thoughts and our uh, our actions and the way we think about other people. So what is the roadway then? What's the map to a place of reconciliation when you find yourself in a place of, of conflict with somebody that you love, particularly a believer? The first step is you have to move towards them And not away from them. You have to move forward. It's an active thing. Reconciliation means you have to take a step towards them. And the the second step, then, it's a step where you're seeking to understand, not to make a case for your own uh, sake or to uh, apologize and and to make a defense for your own thing, but to offer and to admit that you maybe messed up or you want to understand where they come from. Then it involves forgiving and being forgiven. Then to live in peace with one another. We must move towards, we must seek to understand, we must forgive, and we must seek to live in peace. Now this happens even as we uh, in our parenting, when we have to discipline, right? To come towards, but we, it's not just enough to discipline and leave with the consequences, and then to leave the relationship broken, but to take it a step further. And to make sure that we are reconciled in order to live in peace. I know some of you are thinking, yeah, this is hard. There's no way that, that, that reconciliation could ever happen in this situation. If you knew or what I'm going through or what happened here or what this person said or what this person uh, did. Let Ephesians 2 be a reminder that God is in the business of turning around impossible situations. Especially if they are a believer, you can think this is someone for whom Christ died. He is at peace with Christ, or she is at peace with Christ, and so can I too. See, we do all of this. We forgive, we reconcile, even in the most difficult of situations, based solely because of our vertical reconciliation. This is only possible because Christ made this happen the same way that we love others because we've been loved, in the same way that we extend mercy because mercy has been extended to us, in the same way that we welcome others into our life and show family of God, we also have peace with God and extend peace to others. Why? Because we remember and then believe and seek to live out this final truth, that we're all on the same team. See, we are all been separated. Uh, we all were once far from God. We now have peace uh, through Christ. But here's the final verses. We're all in this together. This is where he's bringing us to, especially when it comes to the church here. He says, he came and preached peace to you who are far off. That's referring to Gentiles. Peace that those were near the Jews. And he says, through him, then Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And now note here the together type language, the togetherness of the remaining verses. Verse 18, he says, you are both. In verse 19, he says, your fellow citizens, your members of the household of God. And, and, like, that's what he's saying here is, y'all have not only the same passport, but the same last name. You're a part of this family, this citizens here. In verse 21, you've been joined together as a holy temple. Why? Where God dwells. You've been built together, verse 22 says, into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. What is it that brings us together? Whom resides in us that we all share? Holy Spirit this is who we trust is at work in one another and why we can even walk down this road why because i believe that this person is at peace with god and the spirit who convicts and teaches and instructs and encourages all along the way is at work in this other person and this makes us on the same team we're here we who uh, as one commentary uh, points out we who were once excluded from the temple are now God's very temple. Declared holy, made holy. Why? Through our actions? No, because God dwells there. And all of this is about the Lord. See, the verses here is like, this isn't anything about us, our gifting, what we do or don't do. It's all about Christ. See, we're saved out of our sin into Christ and then into his church. We love both Christ and then his body and the people. See, Christ is the cornerstone. He's the one that that everything else is built upon. That's why we say around here, like there's one person that redemption revolves around. It ain't me and it ain't you. It's around Christ. He's the cornerstone, the one that is level, the stone upon which everything else is built. If that cornerstone is not level, if it's tipped, if it's, uh, if it's rough, if, if something is imperfect in it, the rest of the house is affected by it. But Christ, the holy, perfect one, upon which everything else is built foundation, the apostles, the prophets, those representative leaders in the church as the church was being built. Here it's built on this foundation, but here the household of God, the temple in the Lord, a dwelling place for God by his spirit. We are on the same team wrapped up and coached by everything about the glory of God. And note then again the greatness of God. The greatness of God to give us all we need to live together. All we need to love one another, all we need to then reconcile with one another when we are hurt. And the the worshipful part about all this is he lays out all this truth. And then in chapter 3, he's saying, and the beauty of this, the majesty of it, the mind-blowing wisdom of it makes even the angels in heaven glorify God. He comes to this point, like, what God is doing here among us, like the angels, the authorities and the rulers, chapter 3, verse 10, say they look upon what God is doing in this family, people from all over the place, reconciling, coming uh, to this place of faith and peace with one another, and this blows the minds of the angels, the angels who are all uniform and alike in, in, in everything else, and now this group of people from all over the place. God is on display, and chapters four, five, and six are how to live it out. Chapter four in general terms, and chapter five the three places where it, this comes to the test the most in our marriage, and our parenting, and at work. And then to top it all off, we know what threatens all of this is the enemy, spiritual warfare. He helps us in this battle, but underneath it all, the sacrificial love of Christ that binds us together, binds us together. So that even in the most impossible situations, church, another one of those but God moments happens. So that Christ is exalted over all. See, God reconciles us to himself that we might be reconciled to one another to the praise of his glory. Why don't you pray with me now to that end? God in heaven, here we are. Here we are, even as we uh, think about these things, God, we, uh, Lord, there may be those uh, impossible situations from to you now. By name, by situation, where hostility remains, where we've dug our heels in, our barriers been created, Lord, we give it to you and ask you to come through. Lord, we also pray for those among us who maybe right now are far from you. Verses one to three are still true of you. God, would you rescue them, pour out your mercy, pour out your love, even today. Today would be a day of salvation. Lord, would you also give us boldness as opportunities to live this out, present themselves. This is a Christmas, God, may stories of reconciliation predominate. Our conversations, more than what we've got or where we went or the things that we ate. Would this be a Christmas where we say yet again, God is great. Pray these things in Christ's name.